Hello and welcome to Spotlight. I'm Liam Dempsey. I'm joined uh, by my Star Trek compadres, Paul Wilson and Matt Brothers. Uh, we're here to talk Star Trek, uh, but it's going to be a little bit different from most Star Trek related podcasts out there. Uh, the idea being that none of us are really Trekkies, as it were, kind of thing. You know, me and Wilson have watched all of the Star Trek movies and enjoy them to varying degrees, uh, but we're not really completely up on all of the television series or anything like that. Uh, we don't go to conventions or anything. And Matt here, he's basically not really seen any Star Trek, um, apart from the new J.J. Lensflare edition. <laughs> totally, um, totally yeah. He, yeah, he's a complete novice. He's probably going to offend a lot of Trekkies out there. Yeah, yeah. I, I uh, Just what you <laughs> And, you know, we'll just go to the website and we'll give his address afterwards. Okay. <laughs> of course, if you want to Twitter troll him, feel free, death threats, the whole caboodle. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm going to get stuff wrong. Uh, we all are, we all are. Matt, but that's, okay. that's the point of Spotlight. Exactly. Yeah. The point of Spotlight <laughs> is we're talking right. about the Star Trek movies. Um, none of the other kind of Star Trek franchises, although we may touch on them as we go. Uh, but we're basically going through all 13 Yeah, it's films. a cinematic journey. Exactly. A, a cinematic journey. We are going through the films and we're not, we're going to be re referencing backwards rather than forwards if we're going to try and stick to that. Yeah. Because here we are in our second episode. Yeah, so you guys have seen them before, but yeah. I kind of, I mostly haven't, and we're going from the rewatch we do for this podcast. So yeah. we'll have been like acting as if. This is the one we've just seen. Everything that's coming yeah. is just vague stuff. This so. is a cinematic journey on warp power in order. We already did Star Trek the motion picture in the first episode. There, there is, is no, no comparison. comparison. Yeah. <laughs> so now, this episode, we're going to go forward to Star Trek 2, The Wrath of Khan. Yeah, 1982, three years have passed. Yeah, indeed. Is that is it three years in uh, story time as well? No, I th right. well, eventually, oh, I don't eventually. We don't, I don't think they really touch yeah. on it. They don't give it a date. They just say it's in, hard to say, really, in the 21st it? century, um, which apparently Nick Meyer just put on there for his dad because he, he was a new so lot of art Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> What's interesting with 982 as well, same year as a lot of good sci-fi, Blade Runner, E.T., The Thing... Tron as well. E.T. the thing. I don't know what's the other one. E.T. E.T. What was the thing? extraterrestrial? <laughs> Man, that is, yeah, that's a big sci-fi yeah. no, movie. It, yeah. yeah, Tron, uh, you know, it's it, it's a genre year, and I think on the internet a lot of uh, fanboys of, like, you know, sci-fi particularly you single out 1982 as the greatest year yeah. in genre filmmaking oh, wow, okay. that ever was. And they're all knocking out of the park. I mean, there's yeah. not a particularly bad film amongst them it's just yeah they're all Blade really good movies films of all time yeah. E.T. is oft quoted as Spielberg's best next to Jaws isn't yeah it? I would yeah. say E.T. is fantastic yeah. Yeah. Thing easily yeah. one of my favourite sci-fis in general and the best Carpenter film yeah mm. I'd agree uh, and so it had competition, this film, yeah. and it, and this, you know after you know the motion picture, you know huge budget, and you know it did pull in some quite respectable grosses, but uh, people knew that they'd have to change things. I think it wasn't particularly yeah. well received, and when you're coming up to this one, like it's a complete kind of reboot essentially of that. Even in the first, the second film, yeah. you couldn't find two films so quite dissimilar yeah, from one 100%. to the second. Yeah, it's funny we talk about the uh, mm. the very bland, like you mm. know, just go go into stuff like the uniforms and the ship, and now that's yeah. all changed. They're all in red. It looks very striking. Mm. Not you know the grey. Well, yeah, that. there's a real uniformed look here, isn't there? Whereas mm. the motion picture is a bit all over the place, but all bland, bland, yeah. bland. Yeah, jumpsuits. And, and it really plays up to the whole. Um, them being like on a ship as well. Yeah, it's the, the uh, I don't know what they're called, the sort of buttoned up yeah. tops and stuff. Yeah, very, yeah. Like, very naval. Yeah, it is. You've got the, the ship's whistles and there's be ship's bells in the background of some scenes. He's mm -hmm. basically wanted to be like hornblower in space, is mm -hmm. Nick Meyer, as not a Trekkie coming into this. What, what's he done, Nick? Well, he did like. Time after time. Yeah, and he, did, he had a couple of films on his belt, but they were quite low budget. And um, yeah, it was a bit of an odd choice, but he. Probably by the end of this is the saviour of Star Trek because if this hadn't worked, yeah, oh, yeah, completely. I mean, the first film I, I kind of taught uh, budget last time, and the first film really, in comparison to its budget, I mean, I wouldn't say made enough. I mean, it would have made 
just enough to be profitable, I think, um, once you get the budget marketing and various things out of the way. Um, but, you know, not a runaway success by any means. Uh, whereas this um, was, I mean, we talked about Star Trek Motion Pictures budget ballooning to 46 million uh, at one point. This had a budget of 11.2, so yeah. we're kind of talking much. Like, I mean, even from the original budget of yeah. Star Trek Motion Pictures before it ballooned, it was 15. So even then, it's Yeah, this is, they brought in a lot of the Paramount TV division, like the camera people, that kind of stuff, like to keep costs down. There's loads of reused stuff from the first film, including footage. I don't people kind of notice. Watching Whoa. the motion picture, there's not actually a new special effect um, of the Enterprise until over halfway through this film. Wait, so we're going from stuff from the show? Yeah, no, from the film. The first motion picture. Well, they're just nicking footage well, from the first yeah, film. Yeah, from the, from the simulator, the three clone ships, exactly the same shots from the first film. Right. Um, I mean, this one's reused yeah, from the first Yeah, film. so Rafa Khan reuses yeah, all the space dock sort of, you know, uh, dry dock stuff, that's all shots from motion picture, including one outtake. Right. Where the well, guy shot enough of it. Yeah, I, well, it's the thing yeah. they could get, I mean, <laughs> yeah. and, um, you know, with different score over it, you think it's different, completely different yeah, stuff, yeah, but, yeah. It, you know, if you hadn't just watched it, like, well, you guys just watched the, that film yeah. three weeks ago and did, did not notice. notice it was really shots. I, the only thing I kind of yeah. did notice with that whole bit is, obviously, there's another kind of docking sequence in this, and I was like, oh, look at that. It comes under, like, two minutes. That's, yeah, that's yeah. how you it's, do it it's, this time. It was a lot more you know, mm. cut to the chase, that kind of thing. But, yeah, and then you've got, like, the um, the sort of space office from the first film. That's That model just turned upside down and becomes regular one in this. So it's just, like, looking at every opportunity to kind of, like, you know, make the money right. go far, as far as possible because the, the new expenses are you know all the new uniforms essentially all the cars yes. probably money went up a bit as well yeah, for yeah. a sequel it's incredible it's so cheap because when it gets to the ending as well you've the final space but the, the effects are ILM it's yeah. ILM doing the effects stuff, and they are sort of grade A at the time yeah I mean it doesn't look cheap yeah like, it doesn't and look the, cheap. the first full CGI sequence ever like in, in a film which is the Genesis demonstrations a CGI sequence which is uh, pioneering stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah the thing right, where right. it kind of because it, yeah, yeah, it's on and then does the blast. Yeah, all in one right. shot. Yeah, that was in the computer. Uh, right. Okay. So you can tell. The jewel of ILM. Well, I think it is. You got you know, closest to that is Tron at the time, and you know that hadn't got anywhere near the. Yeah, that's, that's true. Of, that's true. And they loved this effect so much. It's not only in Star Trek Two, but in Three, Four, Next Generation. Like, yeah, they reused this animation quite a lot. Um, so yeah, like you know, if if Rafa Khan's like making reuse of like pre-existing stuff, like it, it gets used itself quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, as we were saying, much lower budget, um, and it actually made less money than motion picture um, in the end. But in terms of overall kind of gross, but actually it was far more profitable because obviously the budget was only 11.2 and made 97 million back so you're talking a lot more profit than before yeah um, you know as we kind of talked about I think touched on last week Gene Roddenberry was kind of basically forced out of the production of his own creation on this one uh, after motion picture which is kind of understandable and do we think a good thing? Well, really? I, I think it was because he it's, it, the challenge needed to be saved from his cost sensibilities in a way. They needed to cut costs. George Lucas effect. Yeah, so. I, but, well, it's. I would say it's actually closer to his creation in a lot of respects. In other aspects, you know, okay. the characters are far more yeah, drawn, well drawn, and mm. um, you know. It's funny because it's like that is getting back to the, you know some of the camaraderie of the show. Yes. Um, yes. Well. You've done something quite unique here, uh, of the three of us. You've gone and rewatched the episode which spawned this. This is essentially not just a sequel to motion picture, but a sequel to an episode of the show. Yeah, it's, that's it's right. Before you, before you can tell, I found that really interesting thing because it felt like that's what the first movie should have done. Like, you're coming off of all that exists before the first movie is the series. What better way to kind of relaunch and to kind of follow on from that? So it feels like they went. First one, let's just kind of move along, and now, oh yeah, remember all that like show stuff? Let's bring it back in, and off we go. Yeah. Well, it's funny that I actually kind of disagree in the sense of yeah, I went back and watched Space Seed um, for this podcast, um, which is the first appearance of Khan, uh, played by Ricardo Montalban, um, and this is a kind of direct sequel to a TV episode, and I've got to say that I actually think. It's hard for me to kind of fathom what the studio execs were thinking, considering motion picture didn't wasn't the big success they wanted it to be, 
and you would have thought, oh, fresh start with this, whereas actually they do something really continuity-based because when the film begins and Chekhov finds himself on Botany Bay... Um, which is Khan's ship. Yeah, which is Khan's uh, ship, which is now kind of, you know, marooned, as it were. Yeah, um, yeah so the episode really ends with Khan and his cronies being marooned on Seti Arthur. Yeah, basically, Six. Space Seed. Um, That's Seti Arthur 5, yeah, yeah. Kirk and the crew coming across Khan and his people, uh, finding them, and they're all kind of like in deep sleep, kind of thing. Yeah. And basically, Khan gets out of deep sleep, immediately goes, right, I'm going to take over the ship, and mm. tries to take over. He has a big fight with Kirk, mm. uh, which is very, very funny, due to some terrible. Uh, stunt doubles uh, <laughs> in this fight. Now, the thing is, I did watch the remastered um, version of Space Seed. Uh, so this is the Blu-ray kind of edition. So, I often kind of feel when you're watching like an old TV series from that era and it's been cleaned up massively for Blu-ray, it's almost like to its detriment because I kind of think back in the 60s, probably the TV's people were watching them on were so shitty that they probably didn't notice stuff like that. Whereas where it's completely cleaned up and you can see everything so well, when they're fighting, it's so obvious. Mm-hmm. They're so dull. And I don't even just mean, oh, yeah, they try to cover up. They're not. There's really... They're like, no, like, fr- no one wants to see this. Yes! There's front-on <laughs> shots, like, directly on their face for quite a few seconds where you're going, well, yeah, that's definitely and, not. And it, it's bizarre William because Shanna no, and Mottobahn would have been in good shape. Like, you know... Well, yeah, Mottobahn, certainly, yeah. Yeah, and, um, you know, why not have them? But I think it's probably... I think it's a budgetary thing where they only have a chance to do it once. Yeah, it's like yeah. one take and that's why all the original series fights are so hilariously bad you know, <laughs> Kurt versus the Gorn like you know it just looks like a rehearsal and it's like fine for a minute let's move on um, yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, the funniest part about that which I couldn't work out is the stunt that looked the most dangerous where kind of Kirk is kind of hanging off um, the wall and he's got his legs around Khan's neck that it is them and you're just like wait a minute that looks like the most dangerous thing get you're doing <laughs> get the doubles uh, but what was great about seeing Space Seed is it really added a huge amount of context uh, for Khan yeah. which I do think made me enjoy the film more because I watched it basically yeah. as a two part story and suddenly I had all this backstory that actually I think is really useful and helpful. I mean, I genuinely would recommend if someone hadn't seen it, go back and watch Space Seed first and just literally so you've got a real idea of why there would be this kind of dispute between mm. Kirk and Khan where they've already got a rival. Even though, I must say, at the end of uh, Space Seed, Kirk is pretty chill with Khan I mean because he doesn't realise mm-hmm. that the planet that he sends him to is ending going to end up really shit mm-hmm. at the end of the day um, yeah. you know he says it in good faith and it seems considering he's tried to kill everyone it, yeah, like Khan get, yeah Khan gets away lightly with yeah, that sentence of being marooned on that web, you know thing to sort of start over stay on you know, it's, it, it well it isn't yeah it's sort of like well, you know life will be hard he did mm. say life will be hard but we'll make a go of it yeah, it? yeah, it is. It, and the end, it's like, pretty peaceful. Yeah, them. and they let the girl go with him as well. Yeah. There's, there's a girl on uh, the Enterprise's crew who comes under a spell of it. Yeah, yeah, it portrays everyone because because <laughs> apparently, uh, according to Kirk, men of that time were very colourful. <laughs> <laughs> according to him, and she's yeah. under the spell of Khan. The, the men of 1996. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and she decides to go with them. Um, but yeah, no, it was interesting. One really cool thing was seeing a full-on knockdown brawl between Kirk and Khan. Because yeah. obviously that doesn't happen. In well, I Khan. think people That's complain about it not having in the film, and I, I think because you've got Space Seed, you've kind of scratched it already. It's like they yeah. fought in their prime. It would only be embarrassing now. So it's now more <laughs> yeah, of like they are using. It, it's, it's more. Of, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's it. Like um, I mean, I think the Sun Devils would be back out again at retirement. Well, one of them would have wiped the floor with Shatner as well. Yeah. I mean, if we look at the. Shanghai's in for Khan compared yeah, to he, he has a monster chest, right? Yeah, yes. He kind of yeah. takes his coat thing off and he's wearing that kind of V-neck jumpsuit, whatever the hell it is. It's just like yeah. Well, there's this weird, very odd kind of myth, isn't there, about that not being real? But oh, apparently, it is. It's it is real. real. Yeah. I mean, it certainly looks real. It doesn't look like a prospect, and he was in 
great sheep uh, sheep <laughs> shape in uh, Space Seed as well. I mean, I know yeah. it's ten years later, but yeah, like, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, it's quite a ten years for Khan. I mean, Morbon's like hair in it, and because and he's having to dress up like stuff they found, that kind of stuff, and they, they kind of fashion this kind of biker gang look. But it's like those eleven years have been really hard on their crew. Only. Yeah, and he would still be in great shape physically because of his genetic engineering. Yeah, I think yeah, yeah. superior, like thing. I mean, you never. For a guy who's on screen for maybe only a quarter of an episode and then maybe 20 minutes of this film, he has got such a rich backstory mm. and, and motivations and, and I think even down to just the dressing of his of the, the sort of um, the Botany Bay container ship where they mm. are and Chekhov realises Botany Bay but you see his bookshelf, oh, no. Paradise, <laughs> Paradise Lost and you know it's just it, all this kind of um, you know, angels from hell you could see how you get all this fire and brimstone in him just planning his revenge and brooding yeah. uh, all these years it just it, it's really kind of a great rich backstory for him. Well he's the most famous singular Star Trek villain, surely. Yep. I mean, obviously I the Klingons are just the, a big group. Yeah, the Klingons, yeah, because you don't really have a stand-up Klingon, do you? The Borg, again, they're kind of yeah, faceless. There's Q yeah. from the Next Generation, but like, I don't think he's got the same following as Khan. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. So, no idea what you're talking about. So. <laughs> well, there you go. It's like watching TNG, mate. Sort yeah. it out. You tell him Trekkies on Twitter. <laughs> Go after well, this guy. That's kind of a bit of background for yeah. for the film. Now let's talk to Matt now and just see what he feels is his kind of fresh eyes. Though so you have seen this one before, but many years back. So yes, watching it again. The, what did you feel? I'd seen. I do not. You know, I still don't remember it scene for scene. Um, and completely different context now, coming straight after motion picture. Yeah, yeah. I think the first thing I noticed. Um, in the credits, James Horner score. Yeah. So they're doing they're two for two in terms of uh, composers already. We're following mm. Goldsmith on, and then yeah. Uh, yeah, the opening with the Kobayashi Maru thing. I thought, oh, I know this, yeah. and uh, uh, I thought it was really funny how it was kind of like a needlessly realistic simulation of stuff blowing yeah. up everywhere and everybody Everyone really yeah. play acting like it doesn't make yeah. much more sense well it's it. like everybody's playing their parts really well I mean because it's they're trying to sell you on the fact it's for real for so long yeah that's it, it and it's, it's just it's like a, the, it, and in Star Trek 09 they are you know they're obviously running through it so many times it's like they're just yeah. they're being quite funny the way Uhura delivers a line it's like oh god they're calling for help again yeah. and it's like nobody's doing you know, it's funny it doesn't make yeah. much sense in context of this film it's only to give us like a tense opening it is like, yeah, yeah. Open to a movie get the Klingons like, oh, in actually, again as well yeah, yeah they're actually in danger and, and stuff and yeah it's a lot of pyrotechnics for a simulation as well like it's <laughs> having to yeah but I thought it all led up to a really great um, entrance from Kirk because yeah. the whole the whole thing which was mm. you know strange to me on the first one was that you know Captain Kirk's not the captain anymore and he has to come on and some other young mm. schmucks like taking his job mm. and this one was like a big kind of like fuck you not this time his entrance is epic backlit yeah. comes yeah. in like right that's it it's like he's a contestant on stars in their eyes yeah, <laughs> yeah it is, it's a pretty epic but yeah uh, entrance uh, and straight away he's got like um, you're setting up a lot of the themes of the film um, in terms of you know the life and death situation he had he sort of when he's debriefing Savick you know the debriefing afterwards where she says oh it's not a fair um, fair test of my command ability and he's yeah, like, yeah. Like this, this it's right from the first scene things that are going to be paying off much later yeah just, this film really, yeah. does a much better job of kind of really relaying the themes in and keeping them going so everything from the concept of like a no, you know, no-win situation, and how that comes back to play for both Kirk and Spock, and the whole thing with Kirk feeling like he's old and things, you know, and and it's still it's another old cowboy coming back into the ship type thing, even though it's only film two, but they have to keep plugging that. Absolutely, I think you've got more character in the in McCoy and Kirk's scene, you know, with his birthday drinks mm -hmm. than you had in the whole first. Yeah, film. I agree. Yeah, and you really get a, like touching thing, you know, Kirk aging. You know, we have yes. to wear glasses now. And well, uh, there's so much stuff in those early scenes about them all being old. They really acknowledge uh, the age. Uh, I think actually, Kirk actually sees exploring the galaxy as a game for the young. Mm -hmm. And they're really going like, look, we're old, um, and also 
so that that training sequence that happens it almost feels like because it's all the old cast who are getting killed mm. in that train sequence you're saying they are anybody is expendable in this film yeah yeah it almost yeah. feels like what you're watching it you're like are they killing off all the oldies to replace them with a new cast mm. like in this moment like yeah and yeah I really like that that they acknowledge their age because there's no getting away from the fact that they do all look older now. exactly and the others don't really want to give up as well you can see it's like what's supposed to mean <laughs> yeah um, and what better way to show that someone's old by having their flat look like some museum well I think incredible <laughs> like Kirk's, Kirk's flat yeah but he's putting like in more there's a spyglass and things like that yeah and a big sailing ship you know he's laying on the nautical theme mm. quite heavily but I think it's he's putting relatable stuff a lot more if you watch the motion pictures nothing you can kind of grab onto yeah. but from the first shot of this one you've got fire extinguishers on the wall um, you know the glasses as well you know and then um, in the first sort of few lines between uh, Carol Marcus and David so you're saying oh do you want to play bridge after dinner you know it's the sort of things people kind of relate to in this 21st century saying games that make sense on like whatever the hell is on yeah, the motion picture <laughs> it's like we are just going back to snap uh, after this Continue continue bros uh yeah and i noticed um i don't know how um uh on purpose this whole was but quite a lot of what happened in the first act and so it felt quite alien like the film alien with uh Chekhov's mission it's kind of like you know two sort of astronauts heading down this planet to mm-hmm. investigate something and then the brain slug things kind of face huggery in nature the way they say oh go in and like plant stuff and mess around with your head so that whole and but straight away it's giving the supporting characters side missions and stuff already because like we said Chekhov and Sulu and all that had zero to do in the first movie and this one straight away yeah Walter Koenig like coming in yeah he's so good did really well uh, to have this because you know he's got his own mission mm-hmm. um, it's, it has to pretty much hold you know the scene you know it, he sells the fear of the size and he says yeah, things he to Khan he's like, so good he's kind of like I know you I don't know you yeah yeah no it's fair it's that scene when they're on the uh botany bay is really good um but again it's that thing of i can't watch it and go man this is such a deep cut if you think about it in 1982 where there's no access to the internet or anything the only reason you'd know anything about this is if you'd seen that original space scene oh, episode yeah. well, it, well that's the thing he does go back and tell briefly yeah, he, recap he, yes, and that's yes, how does. you can watch this film in yeah. isolation and, yeah. it's a, and it's really good it's not even expositionary at all because he tells it as if like the Captain Terrell is the, is the yes. audience just like yes. oh they never told you about what happened Yeah, and it's, it has a plot reason for recapping it it's not just uh, bringing it's very you very true um but yeah, Khan, when he, when he finds out Kirk is now an admiral and the look he gives there. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so annoyed that he's, like, you know, he's been suffering for 11 years and Kirk's been promoted in the time. And he's just on this thing with a bunch of lost boys. The lost boys are miles away. Yeah, yeah, I guess they're gang. Yeah. Break into song. I, I listened to a little bit of Myers uh, sort of on sort of Ricardo Mottbarn's performance and he's saying that you know he has a face where he's always thinking you're looking at him and he can without even saying anything you know he's his t- his brain's ticking over and uh, mm. um, yeah the, the pauses he has are yeah he gets from like being in position A to B so smoothly for so much of this film yeah. he's so formidable just from being that kind of I know exactly. Actually, he takes over a ship without any kind yeah. of like thing, and you can buy it. You buy it, like even though there might be forty crew on there, he's got a way of getting his way. Um, and the whole trap he sets for Kirk in terms of saying the emergency, which comes in the next few scenes, mm-hmm. is a, a master plan where you're not sort of. Oh, I don't think that's a bit of a stretch. Like that seems a bit. I don't know what you feel like. Did you feel it fell down at any point for you? He's, yeah. yeah. No, it felt like Khan did give off that kind of like Joker vibe of, like you know the sort of modern kind of villain who has this grand plan and everything seems to happen but that, that even his own crew mean, yeah. don't see it all the way through yeah. don't they because they're questioning him a little bit but this is know, one that yeah. did have logic to it and it's like yeah if they say that he knows they'll ask for them and he knows they'll go to there and yeah just by the way full disclosure uh, I know we said we would go watch the theatrical editions um, for this podcast but I actually ended up watching the director's edition uh, for this one it was recently released because I watched uh, Rothkarn last year when Leonard Nimoy sadly passed away 
uh, in tribute and I felt like the theatrical cut was very clear in my head so to make things a bit different I watched Space Seed for context, I watched the yeah. director's edition to make things a little bit different so if I mention anything uh, that's a bit different from you guys' recollections. Yeah, that's being... right. I know I know the director's edition quite well. Oh, okay. Yeah. You've seen it as well, yeah? Yeah. Uh, okay, cool. Um, so, yeah, looking at it, one thing I did want to mention was earlier on, uh, where, as I say, they're acknowledging uh, the age of the characters. And actually, Kirk now seems reluctant to captain the Enterprise, mm -hmm. um, considering after last time, he was kind of forcing his way onto the ship. Um, knocking poor Deckard out of the way. Um, now he seems reluctant to, and McCoy comes and kind of visits him and talks to him about it. And McCoy is wearing the oddest pair of trousers I've ever seen <laughs> in my life. I mean, literally, look, they look like kind of Superman trousers. Like he's got the pants on the outside. Yeah. It's like, as far as the yeah, 21st mod century, modern space fashions. 21st century fashion leads a lot to be so. When they have the, yeah, their kind of civilian clothing, it's, it's all a bit strange. Yeah, yeah. no, definitely. Um, but yeah, so go on, bruvs. I mean, so what was your kind of thoughts this film you sound like you enjoyed it a lot more than motion picture yeah no like it felt it felt like a movie it felt a lot more a lot yeah. more modern you know they've got another space docking scene timeless it doesn't, yeah more. it doesn't take yeah. forever um, there's you know relationships between everyone is very well established uh, all the new characters have a lot more to do without overshadowing everyone else um, I think the whole Genesis thing is a really fascinating idea like it feels Really yeah, even today, even whole... about like the Khan subplot. I mean, the Genesis one could probably stand by itself, but you've got two quite fascinating storylines yeah. running, and they dovetail and how really it well. Be quite a big like giver of life or destruction and going away, mm. and now they're needing to you know develop it for overpopulation and all sorts of reasons. There yeah. seems to be something that's very popular at the moment, that idea, and you can see why with the kind of way the world seems to be going uh, in so many ways, terrifying, yeah. politically. Mm. Um, in the set, I mean, there's a new reality show uh, that's just come on, which oh, is a Eden. big project. Yeah, Eden, where the idea is, could we begin again? You know, basically finding somewhere remote uh, in the middle of nowhere, where basically it's kind of restarting civil society, like yeah, from the very, very first drop, mm. and kind of going forward and seeing can we rebuild um, this? So it does seem to be, like you say, a very popular, relevant thing. Um, but also, just in comparison to motion picture, I think what just consistently came across to me is just how exciting, intense, and gripping this film is, like all the way through. Yeah. It's mm. really compelling mm. in a way that motion picture did not yet. Yeah. So much suspense, it's really well structured. Like, you get all these kind of big moments happening throughout, it's yeah. not just all dumped at the end or anywhere, yeah. or peaks in the middle. Yeah, very much so. And, you know, there's twists and turns, some of which... It's the most accessible, but still a fan favourite. I mean, for a yeah. regular audience member coming in, as I say, this is I was never a Trekkie uh, and, you know, never a fan before I saw this film. Mm. And I came into it and I just knew straight away, just from as a, as a child, mm. like, this is something special this film because of the way it had me on the edge of my seat from the you know the ambush attack in the middle you know the Enterprise is on the back foot you really feel the stakes are very high that their ship is crippled mm -hmm. you know they, they've they've had you know a, a humiliating defeat and then it's a game of wits for pretty much the last half of the film mm. and it's got edge it's adult and uh, violent and well, kind of you and, know and I think that's a lot of it is more about what he doesn't show and apparently he did kind of in his Botany Bay sort of first scene um, go quite big with it in the first take and why I said quoted well as a young director didn't want to kind of like he's, he quoted Olivia at him and said a good actor never shows his top like and uh, Amal Aban like took that on and just sort of you know held it a little back he does lose his cool a couple of times but only a couple of times in the film but it's what you don't see that keeps the menace there because you hear from Terrell that he um, about how he acted in a regular one like he tortured the scientists mm. he slit their throats he went wild the things you don't see sound more kind of scary it's like also what did he do to the Ryan crew as well it's quite because he's he's not you wouldn't put anything past yeah, him yeah doesn't he mention that he, he marooned somewhere yeah he does I was like oh so the Ryan crew are totally fine you can't take an over and then when they found well I suppose it's like that's us even now because yeah, he yeah. was marooned on Sacred 5 
by the Enterprise crew. He's just re- removed the Reliant yeah, crew there. Well, yeah, he got slaughters a whole ship of people. Yeah, they go yeah. in the final the body. Re- it's like hanging up, do they? Yeah, yeah. And that's really horrific. Mm. And I mean, there's body horror with what happens to Chekhov and the. Um, who is the uh, the guys with Chekhov? What's his name? Captain Terrell. Yeah, Captain Terrell. I mean, that, that, that's cut from the Terminator. Yes. yes oh, was, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's proper Cronenbergian body horror yeah, yeah, going yeah. on with those kind of space slug things going. Yeah, in, and the fact they're still under his control as well is a nice twist when they're yeah. down on the on yeah the regular Chekhov betrayal. Holy hell! I was like, what a twist. Yeah, and really dark as well with Terrell turning the gun on himself rather than yeah. and exactly. committing suicide. I mean, that's really <laughs> awesome. I mean, that comes directly after kind of you see all these slaughtered bodies and stuff. Mm-hmm. And like you say, like Khan is this kind of monster by this point, this kind of wild man, as you say, like savage being. Yeah. And I think we can't really blame Kirk for stepping in the ring with him in this uh, story because I, I think you just torn Kirk apart wouldn't he really hmm. like, and uh, it, you know he has to kind of beat him with his wits yeah. as it were which he does and actually this is something you should talk about Paul because we've kind of discussed this before of the famous calm scream moment from hmm. Kirk yeah you kind of think that sort of play acting as it were well it, everything from when they go to um well, just before they beam down to regular, um, Kirk speaks in code of Spock, and he's got the impression yes. the Enterprise will be back to enough power in two hours' time. Yeah. He knows they're being listened to, so therefore, when he's down on the planet, uh, down on the rock, and talk, talking to Khan and saying, "You know, you have to come down here," it's. I think he is losing it a little bit. Actually, you know, but Kirk knows they've got a good chance of being rescued the whole time. He. He is acting a little bit, but I think he loses his call with Khan a bit because he has... Terrell's dead. Yes. And um, he almost killed Kirk. Yes. And I think for a moment he's forgotten that he's got, like, you know, this backup plan. Yeah. Because at, the, at that point in time, Khan is in power again. Yeah. In control. Um, he has the weapon. So I think, yeah, it, there was a, somebody... I read it online and it made me think about it in a different way. This is the first time I've watched it since, No, you know seeing it in that context that he might be the car moment but I, I, I still believe there's, it's more that he hates Khan mm. and is you know annoyed at him for what he's done to the, yeah. the ship it's, and he's Terrell's dead now yeah it's more that exactly he did and he just put it back this. together and when he, when it comes to the scene with him and Carol he could easily tell them that you know don't worry I've spoken code to Spock yeah. but he actually just keeps everybody on tender hooks for the rest of the bit but his ego is, is coming back into play now because mm. he's starting to get he's, he's had his as he say he caught, been caught with his britches down mm. he is need to reassert himself so I think that got Kirk quite low mm. um, and now he's needing to kind of be a bit clever and even in the eyes of people around him because when it is like you know I don't like to lose and it's all starting to come good for Kirk again yeah, he, he, but he uses that time to have a one-to-one with Carol. Like the film slows down for a moment, he has a chance to do that. But gets if he told her we we're all going to be fine, she might not have wanted to talk to him properly. Oh yes, it's manipulative, really. Yeah, but, it um, be, yeah. but it's a very kind of genuine, heartfelt sequence. That yeah, I found it very interesting watching it again because you told me that theory before, and when I watched it again, I completely saw that hundred percent when he's on the um, the intercom to Spock prior to the Khan moment. Mm. It's very obvious that there is kind of you know a kind of secret dialogue going on between mm. them. The way they're communicating, mm. you, you're like, oh yeah, oh, he is on it. However, uh, and for me at first, I thought, oh, that's kind of going to rob the power of that moment. Mm. But actually when it happens, like you say, when you think about it, Terrell's just committed suicide. They found all these slaughtered Chekhov bodies. could be dead. Chekhov could be dead. Um, and the fact is, is despite the fact that Khan may not have as much of an upper hand as he thinks he does, he still has done all this terrible stuff to them. And he has the Genesis torpedo now. Yeah, and there is like it's not like when they get out of it at that point, it's not like oh everything's fine. They're actually still in real huge danger. It's yeah. just that they've got a li- they're not completely hopeless. They're not out of the woods. When they get back up to the ship, like the ship is still pretty yes. crippled, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. it's not walk drive. Um, yeah, it's. Um, so yeah, I th- I think that you can buy that moment is real. In yeah. Almost. It's like like you say, I kind of like that in the sense that he's losing his cool. He's trying to keep it kind of thing in that moment because he's thinking in the back of his mind, oh yeah, no, I've got yeah. this thing over you don't know. But then he, he snaps. Uh, and, and and I think it just is one of the 
the best moments in any film I think is the is, is you know where you have Khan like telling him that he's gonna you know leave him like he left mm-hmm. him and uh, you know marooned for all eternity in the centre of a dead planet like yeah. you know yeah. like and he also says to how you left her like it's showing like he really blames him for this you know Terrell, Terrell says to Kirk he blames you for the death of his wife I don't know what he blames me for he actually doesn't know about his wife at that point mm. but like Kirk already has made up his mind because he got you know Kirk bested him last time yeah you know yeah. Yeah, yeah. He, he doesn't really care what Khan's motives are. Mm-hmm. He just wants yeah, to be. All that stuff with Khan's really good because it, it does make a really sympathetic villain. Like at that point, with his motive being clear, and you know mm-hmm. him blaming Kirk, it's really like this. Really, is like a film about two people, and mm-hmm. everyone else you can almost phase out. It's just this battle of wits between these two guys. Yeah, ups and downs, well, the pacing it has between all this. The, yeah, the ambush sequence where you have um, Khan appear on the monitor just just so he can know who is beating him yeah. is yeah, brilliant. Yeah, that's like, uh, it's like, uh, oh, you still remember. I, of course, remember you. Like, it just, it just the way he delivers that is so brilliant. Um, but yeah, and then you've got Kirk um, essentially acting there because he's on screen with him the entire time. He says, keep nodding and giving orders. It's performance. Yeah, well, that's great. Kirk, Super Kirk, yeah, Kirk that's is good. giving, you know, it's a performance and they're both, I love how... Uh, just a moment, Carl. You're, you're, you're good. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, it's kind of, just give him the but yeah, it's just like uh, but the, the moment we uh, put someone's glasses, and he d- has never put them on in front of people before. Yeah. He goes, and that like he's getting oh, just like um, yeah, and you got whack him, Yokim. I think it's the Khan's lieutenant. He's only one of two of his followers who gets a line, or more yeah. than one. Um, and apparently, they, it's supposed to be his son. But like, well, that's what Mortenbahn and that actor worked out in all their rehearsals. But it, it's never made explicit. It, it, well, it comes across actually in his bit. death. I think. Yeah. The way he can't reacts at least. Yeah. You, you get a you, can't yeah. feel that. He's yeah. got more people to avenge now. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, Khan is pretty much the last one alive because all the crew is his yes, crew are dead by that get point. Wiped out, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, that guy actually is not credited in this film. Oh, really? Yeah, because I think there's some dispute with his agent or something like that. So he's oh, yeah, he's got loads oh, of lines. He's not even credited. Yeah, it's quite he's sad. Like right hand man. He is the right hand man of Khan, um, and the only one to kind of question him at any point. Um, you know, where Khan, where he's kind of got the pressure from even Khan's crew. Like he's pursuing this revenge too far. Like we've got mm. a ship, we've got Genesis, we can go where we want. Mm. And he's like, no, he tasks me. He tasked me, and I shall have him. And uh, revenge is a dish best served. Yeah, yeah. Is, I mean, is that is this the origin of that yeah. quote? I, th- I think I so. Yeah. Thought it was like, well, <laughs> yeah, is that from? So- it- yeah, is that from something else? It's a proverb that they just retrofit into a Klingon. Well, or? yeah, I think they. It could be. Um, I mean, Star Trek has occasionally where they quote Shakespeare. Yeah, and, that's what I was. And a Klingon is, is, you know, you haven't heard Shakespeare. Till you have, you've heard it, it's original Klingon. <laughs> <laughs> you know, just like the, the Klingon translation is better than the English. Yeah. Like, well, this is the future where the past of '96 has Krone sleep. So, yeah. <laughs> well, mentioning the Klingons, I did kind of feel like their inclusion felt a bit like at this point because they were in the first film as well in a small scene yeah I I felt like (laughs) oh they're because the Klingons are the famous bad guys of Star Trek it almost feels like oh just gotta throw them in they're like the Daleks or something like just get them in get them in like you know just a little fan service first time they all die second time it's just a test (laughs) you ain't real Klingons Um, all the um all the ship battles I thought were incredible that yeah. first one where it's kind of going back and forth and then they drop the shields counter attack it's, yeah. so, it's so well cut and like yeah. that close up of Kirk just going it's wow. the, you know where you have like them going along broadsides well yeah. it's not well the Enterprise is caught out I mean where, where, you know, the broadside from like the Reliant is excellent and then the way it kind of just patrols round you know he's got them and he can yeah. destroy them at any moment you, it is just yeah when they're like oh we can't move um, and then that whole second fight the kind of blind fight in the nebula yeah it's that's blind fight proper dog fight. fight that's yeah. what it feels yeah, like it, yeah. it's a proper it's a, um, the submarine movie essentially yeah, yeah. yeah it's yeah. run sight run to, deep that to me was a proper like naval battle the way they were kind of getting side by side slowly but it's like a naval battle in three dimensions because now they're going above yeah and they're like desperately and you're actually trying to see through the screen as well going like yeah. kind of like slowing it down it makes it more like every shot counts and it's like Absolutely, just, yeah. kind of just yeah. floating about because it's like they are got no shields they're going every shot will cause huge damage as well I think that the stakes are extremely high and you know both ships are kind of crippled anyways mm. so yeah that's right and yeah they do play that it's in three dimensions because that's how Kirk gets the better of him he's like he's thinking two dimensionally 
as if it's like a chessboard yeah. or something like that. It's like actually, if you go downwards, you're behind yeah. it. Yeah. And then, like you say, with Khan's son like getting killed, it's like time for more wrath. He's like to add that to the revenge lift from Hell's like, Dark Heart. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's it's really great. And um, yeah, Ricardo Montalban is just awesome in all those scenes as the villain. Just this. The, like you say it kind of boils down to just this hatred between two men kind of thing and that's yeah. really strong but Kirk hadn't given him a second thought I love that like Kirk yeah. is quite flippant he's like I just don't you know oh I who yeah yeah um, <laughs> that's what gave me the and then when he's goading when, when Kirk yeah. starts to get his upper hand again he's it is kind of yeah, very personal isn't it yeah. just, it's just him and he's put me through to him and it's like ah oh, I'm laughing at the superior intellect yeah. he's like that though isn't he like yeah that's the thing with Kirk that's what he's famous for he's like ego he's <laughs> like an egocentric hero which is quite weird kind of thing like yeah. you know and he really plays on that mm. that's, that's what gave me the whole Batman Joker feeling that these two guys kind of knew each other because this is the film about Kirk feeling old and out of touch and becoming more alive again and through and the way to do that is for a showdown with an old foe yeah and Khan wants him dead for, for revenge that's so like you know revenge plot and Kirk going oh this is this is me this is realising again this is me uh, and you know to his ultimate cost yeah absolutely yeah. yeah and he learns you know life and death yeah. you know, in terms of yeah he loses this closest yeah. friend in, in becoming it's... in feeling alive again yeah it sort of it took that to shake him out of that midlife crisis yeah. and there's so many kind of very specific character moments and stuff like mm. you know Spock doing what he does that's him going against logic it's like all these characters have a very specific thing about them and they're tested on these things and Spock you know choosing to do the opposite of what Spock would do feels like a thing a movie like this should do that's a thing that it can do yeah like a TV which is very much like you know they've got to kind of stay the yeah. same or well it's yeah, it's kind of like it is still a logical thing it's like well, yeah what life of one is you know not as mm. much as, the, as everybody else um, so I, you know, I mean, the Spock scene in the in the early part of the film where you find you get Kirk and him one on one, you get a lovely sense of their really long friendship. Yeah. And um, you know, he's saying, "I have no ego to bruise," and he's uh, you know, Kirk is kind of seeking uh, approval from Spock to just take over the ship. He does he doesn't need it, but he, he his opinion, Spock's opinion, means so much to him mm-hmm. that he's kind of like seeking his advice, and he's like, "You know, I'll always be your friend, and you're my superhero." You know, the film kicks into high gear, doesn't it? Because they go to like Sulu. Doesn't still doesn't get as much to do in this film, no. but he does get that you know so much little training cruise moment. Like you know that is pretty good. He uh, gets to fire torpedoes. What more do you want? <laughs> yeah, I mean, we were talking about Chekhov and his little arc in this, and yeah, it really gets nicely rounded off with him coming back onto the bridge. Yeah, or he's, he's like you know permission to rejoin like I think, and he go, and that's like his moment of redemption. Yeah. Well, Even though he hasn't done anything well, wrong, it's also well, yeah. yeah, but it's his revenge too because he yes. gets to like take on he gets to blow Khan away. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah I never yeah. thought about that actually before this. Uh, it's really really great. Um, but obviously the big moment, uh, I suppose, what this film is probably most famous for is kind of you know the final section of the movie where we get the tragic death of Spock yeah um, so I think we should kind so of talk you, about that beautifully handled isn't it like it's uh, uh, yeah amazing it's so intense in terms of like him uh, you know Scotty and Moans like trying to stop him and um, you know cutting back and forth with them trying to get away quick enough you can't you know he's doing his little speech himself and dies thinking he's won that's the, that's something this is quite strange I don't know how you feel he's like he's going to blow up and kill them all yeah he dies before he see, yeah, you never get the moment where the Enterprise goes to warp and he sees it and just like has that second before he explodes yeah. oh, he, imagine if like Kirk just patched through being like oh by the way we've got everything <laughs> see ya yeah <laughs> yeah but, but, but he has scored a victory because he's he's managed to they don't walk away clean one mm-hmm. of the kind of you know beloved crew members has perished yeah and I think it is I mean it gives it much more weight in that um, yes. you know Spock has gets killed but you have um, you know Khan yeah he should die thinking he's won mm. it's a I think a film Everybody made nowadays knows. it would have that money shot of him like oh. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's kind of almost yeah a moment for him it's kind of acknowledging 
the uh, you know maybe he had some sort of legitimate kind of right to revenge and yeah. you know or at least thought he did in his head and it's kind of giving him his motive to revenge because he dies thinking he has got it yeah um but he still dies and essentially the track crew still wins so it kind of works out both ways yeah. so exactly. you can't have your cake and eat in this yeah, yeah. this is where yeah. everything ties in so well like Towards the end, you know, Kirk is basically forced to face uh, his own Kobayashi test finally. Because mm-hmm. he's, you know, they say he's never really been in a no-win situation. This is kind of it now, where it's like, mm-hmm. Spock's done this. That wasn't damn you. So, you know, he only wins through losing Spock. Through sacrifice, yeah. yeah. And, and that's what he needed to learn all this time. Yeah, and, and it is, yeah. and what like Maya said, his hero moment is saying, I know nothing to his son. And that's... Uh, a great scene as well with you know mm. it's actually him and David like David tries to stab him uh, you know a couple of bits but you know it, and then he's saying I'm really proud to be your son it's yes. a really good, good yes. moment as well I mean that scene between him and his son is so needed because of the fact that really before that moment you don't really get much of a father-son impression between them. I mean, understandably so, yeah. but it's kind of like, you know, they need to build that yeah. up a bit. It needed to begin it's, somewhere, and it's yeah. a great beginning for that. And yeah, it's really, this, this really was the strong. Thing that, this is the thing that fell flat for me, because I, I had no idea, even from, I obviously didn't remember this, that Kirk even had a son, and it felt kind of so rushed, and it feels like it's the one moment that kind of falls flat, this whole... Because it's not just a moment, it's a whole like subplot, but there's so much else going on. And everyone else is having such amazingly big emotional beats and, and Khan and everything. This thing just kind of felt probarred in, gets swapped along a little too. But do you not think that scene itself is strong? Which bit? The, between them at the end, where they embrace. So, yeah, right. but I think when he first kind of showed up. Yes, of course. No, no, no. Like, I think yeah. that's the thing. It is just, it's, it's very, not a big thing of the film. It's, um, just like, but I think it's like the, no, because it, but that scene is the beginning of them. I think, you know, we, there, there's nothing between them really before then, is there? Like, you know, they only kind of meet like three quarters later yeah. through the film and so it's only I feel like you kind of like it's the beginning of a reconciliation uh, yeah. rather no, than it like, it's not like it started at the beginning and he's yeah it felt like if you've known this character for 15 years and then they just suddenly drop like almost like oh by the way you have the sun yeah it kind of didn't really play sort of like a half green suns around the galaxy yeah. like <laughs> I'd say yeah I'd say it earns, earns it going forward from this it's interesting but yeah. everything to do with it during this just felt like a weird but it's also, you know, it's an interesting... It just shows how much stuff is in this film, but yeah, it doesn't feel like too much for yeah, me. Didn't, didn't for me, because we've got Carol Marcus as well. You know, Kirk's lost love. Yeah. He, he you know, he says it's an old wound to, to, to Bones, who says, you know, in the turbo lift. Is she in the series? Um, it's hinted she is. In the, I don't know if she is or not, but... Um, I think there's supposed to be one episode where a character like this, a blonde sort of doctor scientist, oh, right. has a kind of relationship with Kirk, and it might be the same person. She's not in space No, she's not in space No, no, she's not in that. No. Yeah. Bones' this whole who's uh, been holding up the damn mail veils is amazing. He just stood like right in front of the door. And yeah. Um, yeah. Do you want to shout out Kirstie Alley? Was a big boyhood crush of mine for this film. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. I I, I liked her in this it's lot. Cheers she's famous from isn't she yeah. yeah she's one of the main people in Cheers this is her debut I think um, and yeah she's excellent Savic constantly crowing regulations she's supposed to I mean she cries at the end she's not full vulgar she's, she's half Romulan but that's only very explicit in the TV cut of the film in the early 80s but there was common practice to pad out films for television to because um, they could make them three hour events oh, so right. sometimes like studios would put a, a long, prepare a longer TV edit um, and it's it happened loads. I mean, even the first one had the, you know another ten fifteen minutes in it. So the director's edition would have had those scenes plus a few more. Um, the yeah, and one of them is that oh, it's a mix of Vulcan Romulan blood that makes a kind of explosive cocktail of emotions <laughs> uh, to suppress or something like that. Yeah, which is what um, Spock says to Kirk in the beginning. And there's also a romantic subplot, like slightly with um, David and and Savic, where right on the bridge at the end they. Um, they have this glance and Kirk remarks, oh, she's learning by doing, you know, sort of, she's learning kind of how to kind of uh, trap a, 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 a human man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, they sort of like, oh, yeah, he's a player. <laughs> oh, he's a Kirk, all right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that, that death scene, it's so emotional, so on point. I mean, even, I mean, Nimoy Man, 
watching this film I think is a really emotional experience because you realise just how perfect Nimoy was in that role yeah. I mean the moment where he gives the Vulcan <laughs> the Vulcan death grip or whatever it is to McCoy, McCoy. Um, <laughs> is hilarious and it is so brilliant because you know like even if you know what's coming mm-hmm. it just to tinge it with that humour is yeah. great I mean, it still gets one over on McCoy yeah I'm sorry yeah. McCoy like and him they're back and forth in this film and there's expanded in the director's edition like, yeah, 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 like yeah, you know yeah. where it's like you actually in favour of these experiments like oh and, yes oh, and, yeah that scene yeah yeah it's a bit, a bit expanded but uh, when, when Kirk's beaming down into the hazardous area and he and Spock's like be careful and McCoy's like we will <laughs> <laughs> yeah. was that, so that scene where they're arguing over the genesis yeah it's uh, slightly thing, extended is that for the director's edition no it? no it's just slightly extended and there's a few more right. moments there yeah, yeah they have a real I mean that's philosophical, that philosophical is, discussion about yeah, like that's really the, interesting because they have a proper debate and of course McCoy, it's classic McCoy getting emotional angry and Spock being very logical matter of fact about it yeah and yeah. then you know for them to have that moment at the end and the remember everything mm. like that his hand on his face is really beautiful and then between Kirk and Spock at mm. the end I mean it is it's hot Shatner's genuinely really good in this yes that, he that, is that in like bit of his speech at the funeral thing where he says like you know he has the most human it's, yeah it's beautiful <laughs> Yeah, I, I, and um, I'll just quickly, you know, before I uh, started dating human females, I <laughs> listened to a lot of audio commentaries. Uh, uh, so and, that's what was stuff in you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, I, I don't have a girl. I've listened to my audio commentaries. <laughs> and uh, one of them was that yeah, I listened to the story. When, in fact, Maya recorded two, and I listened to both of them. Uh, <laughs> full, yeah, full disclosure. Uh, but yeah, Why did you record two? One for the Drexel edition and one for the normal one. Yeah, yeah. Right. Well, they, well, one he's with another guy who's oh, a screenwriter, right. and they just it's more of a conversational about yes, a film. Yes, yes, um, But in the first one, he talks about how he directed Shatner and how he right. got the good performance out of Shatner is that he would just wear him down with multiple takes, and by the he would deliver it like a movie star for the first five, and then on six he'd get bored and he'd just drop it. And it, the, an example he gives is the scene where um, he says, "Here it comes." So he's you know, when he's about to transmit the data across but all calm things, he's actually going to lower his shields. Mm. And he's like, here it comes. And he said he was, like, telegraphing it too much, like, here it comes, before. And then he just sort of, when he does it, finding the film, it's kind of understated. It's like, you don't want to give away the game. You're dealing with, like, a super intelligent adversary. Um, so, yeah, it, that's just one example. But, yeah, Kirk plays it. You know, well, Shatner just plays it, just really kind of within the... Yeah, and this is a film that's famous for him screaming Khan and yet it still doesn't feel like because well, that is <laughs> that the, the only thing, moment yeah. that's yeah. the only moment where he kind of loses it and yeah I, I completely agree with Ray there because I think this is probably Shatner's best performance um, on the whole for an entire film yeah because um, yeah, I really think his performance is extremely strong in this and it's not like you know Shatner has a very distinctive style to his mm-hmm. acting mm-hmm. and it's not like he loses that it's still very Shatner I mean mm-hmm. that final moment where is how do you feel Jim and he says I feel young only Shatner could deliver yeah, that line. It's so deserved at that point. But it, it's it like, totally, yeah. it totally yeah. works. It's a really odd line, mm. but it feels so right because mm. of his points. And like you said, he's almost he says it in such a kind of way that you feel like maybe he has done those attacks before. <laughs> that. You know that kind uh, of you know slightly lunch type. Yeah, it's mm. no. I think it's really strong. It's yeah. a much more subtle. Well, I I get generally choked up by that thing like yes. and i have on several occasions like yeah that particular moment that line it just, and the music as it kind of swells and you've got the, the kind of like the rebirth it's just started sort of this relationship with his son mm. you know it's a lot going on for him and to feel that that like final closing epilogue is is beautiful um he's not gone as long as we remember him yeah yeah it's, it's and and also beautiful. i didn't i didn't know that that was tale of two cities um, I, you know, I didn't know that was a famous. You know, he said oh, everybody knows the beginning lines, and end lines of, of Tennessee Cities, and I did end up reading that. And it's the only only book I've read on an ebook, and I read it in one night. I was meant to go to bed about twelve o'clock, but I was up to four a.m. reading the, the Dickens, and it was one of the best books I've ever read. Uh, and when it does get to those last lines in the book, it's really emotional as well. Mm. So yeah, to, to kind of steal it for the end of this and just cap it off, it gave it. It hasn't cheapened it for Star Trek Two. You know, now I've read the book. It just um, is perfectly well placed. 
Dickens yeah. and Star Trek. Yeah, well, this is a, begins a kind of literary tradition of like mm. sort of Star Trek drawing on like uh, some classics. Yeah, I mean, yeah, so obviously Spock gets killed in this, and that was a result of uh, Nimoy wanting to leave the franchise, apparently. Apparently, he only agreed to do the film if he'd if he be killed off, kind of thing, you know, and they get this big, great death scene. Um, apparently, when it was test screened, there was a big negative reaction to the ending. Mm. Um, so they had to change the ending somewhat. To give us, which I presume is the final moment. Yeah, it's, on well, it's, the, it's the insert of like the remember shot. You know, where he puts the my Mel's McCoy and says remember. Right. And then it's the yeah, it's all the shots which were filmed in kind of a um, sort of equivalent of their Eden project, like you know, a big um, sort of indoor kind of plant. Sort of and project. showing yeah. his coffee. Yeah, co- yeah, yeah it's, which is soft land on Genesis. Yeah, and just to kind of like wrap it up there. So th- that's my did not want that. He was against including yes, that. I know he was very unhappy about that. Yeah, um, so a, a true director's cut would not have it, but then it wouldn't be in conti- continuity then. But yeah, no. Well, that's that's very true. Yeah, it wouldn't really make sense. So that, that, or that's or you could you could still do it without it, yeah, and then you, could. You, you start the third film with it. Yeah. So yeah, you, you could, could still actually, have yeah. the yeah, the original director's version of this, and still still have the third film. Yeah. But um, I, I mean, yeah. I it's one of those things where. I think, and I think we'll talk about this more in the next episode, but I, I do almost feel... It's that double-edged Catch-22, isn't it? Where Spock is a fantastic character, and he's Star Trek, really Star Trek without Spock. Well, I think it, meanwhile, um, would have been happy with those shots, because he didn't have to do the, you know, remember line no. if he didn't want to come back. I think probably by the end of shooting, it's like, actually, I've quite enjoyed this. <laughs> yeah, and well, made, that's and we've actually I, made yeah. And we've made a good film here, and, so I'll, and if I... I think he obviously position himself but, I mean Nimoy better than Chapman played Paramount so well I mean mm. he always threatened to leave right got himself like a dramatic death got himself a director's gig for the next two yeah. so yeah I mean he's played really really well in terms of his career probably got a big pay rise as well yeah like uh, yeah no it's yeah it's one of those things I think watching isolation you watch it and you can't kind of pretend that this is the end of Spock um, and I think there, it, you know, it's kind of a lot it be, stronger. Be the ultimate Star Trek film in a way. Yes, you don't need stuff going in. You don't even need to know who they are. You get all of that in the film. Everyone's relationship to each other. Yeah, and it ends with yeah, big big win, big sacrifice, big loss. That could be the start and end of an entire thing. I mean, yeah. Even if there was no franchise, this film could be like. Yeah, because I think it's like there are always possibilities, Spock said. And even with just the ending shot of the tomb, you just like, you don't have to to come back to life, but you could be. That's quite, you know, it's it's the question, it's there. And then science fiction is always. Yeah, it is. And uh, the only big plot hole I had that was always kind of annoying me since I was a kid is about the Dionysus torpedo designed to be shot at a planetoid and it's exploded in the middle of space. And the planet forms, and it's always annoying me. It's like that's kind of going against what you've repeated throughout this film. But it right. needs to be a, a, de- a planet or a dead body, you know. Uh, and it's it's there. And apparently, it was. Um, I've always thought perhaps it's the Genesis wave had travelled out to that rock, you know, regular rock, and that that turned it into the planet. But no, it's, it's the explanation. In the novel is that it's the gas of the nebula, and all the dust is part formed it. So that's it's just pulled in the nebula and made the planet out of that stuff as well as the Genesis material. It, but for me, I don't think it's a strong enough explanation. No, it's, I mean it's funny. I didn't really think about that while I was watching it, but now you say it, I suppose that is. Yeah, uh, and it would be, and it would feel like you know, it's, it would be an extra line they have to say. Somebody would have to say it, and there'd have to be a good reason for it. And by the end, you've got the Spock death. Everything else is going on emotionally. You really would feel like, oh, it a bit kind of out of place. <laughs> yeah, I suppose because there's so much else going on, you don't really think about it because of the fact that you know, you've yeah, got it gets away with it. It gets death. away with it, yeah. and I mean, they could address it in the next film. We shall see. We shall see uh, <laughs> next time. But before then, what are the scores? Scores on the doors. Okay, so Matt Brothers. Yeah. I go first. Yeah. Okay. I'm giving Rafa Khan uh, 8.9. 8.9 yeah. out of 10. Yeah. Okay, so final big thoughts, big wrap up your overall summation. Yeah, no, really, really brilliant film. I thought it's, you know, everything, they just get right. Characters, uh, uh, ensemble. Action scenes, pacing, uh, everything in there, really great, really great. Mm. Multiban, really exceptional villain. 
<laughs> okay. Um, yeah, I would go with an 8.5. So very close. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I really think it's a really strong, strong film. Um, I'd say I appreciated it the most probably on this watch, but I've seen it quite a few times. That's the for um, you. That's a rarity. Right. Knowing you as I do, yeah, years, like there's not very many films you can rewatch and happily kind of get something out of it again. Yeah, that's very true. And I mean, especially like, uh, I mean, maybe seeing it in the context of Space Seed and the scene director's edition this time. Um, but yeah, it just really flowed well for me. And I just thought it was so compelling. And then the, the death at the end really elevates things. Mm -hmm. uh, I think Shatner's so strong the way through. Mm -hmm. Montalban, fantastic villain. Um, yeah, I think it's just a really strong film, and it's the uh, Star Trek film we deserved uh, yeah. after motion picture, quite frankly. So, 8.5, yeah. yeah. Okay, well, 9.4. 9.4, yeah. wow, okay, go on. Well, just because yeah, I think this is close to perfect as, a, as this film can, could get. I, I, yeah, they're, they're only the minor scribbles, and, and i got to say, on, on the face of, you know, I'm a big film fan and I've seen a lot of movie villains and I can't really think of one that's like as well-rounded as interesting as Khan uh, just because of that he's so excellent I mean that one example I didn't get to talk about earlier is that he's so sadistic because he doesn't need to tell Trekov and Terrell that this will kill him with the, the, the worm he says it will cause madness and eventually death and this is the last time they're kind of going to be under their own sort of steam and they're going to mm. be kind of under his control it's like that is just dark you, 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 you didn't need to tell him this is going to kill you as well it's like, like, yeah, yeah, does to people yeah it's like oh he's, he's brilliant so yeah 9.4 for me okay well I mean that's a lot higher scores than Star Trek The Motion Picture. <laughs> so <I'm> already forgotten. <laughs> so clearly, there is a comparison. The comparison to Star Trek II, Rock and Khan, and it has wiped the floor yeah. with it. It's yeah. what you were saying earlier about, um, you know, Khan being the one that kind of everyone, whether you're Trekkie or not, likes. Uh, yeah. And it being the most accessible. Are there, like, hipster Trekkies who just hate Rock and Khan? I can't... I, I, I really no, cannot think of anybody. So. Uh, is there someone who's like... Oh, I love Star Trek, but if you love Rafa Khan, you don't really love Star Trek. Like, you know. Uh, I don't think so. I think no. it's probably one of the closest, but everybody's opinions yeah. are like, you know, in a, in alignment uh, with this one, yeah. I think there's yeah. definitely Trekkies it brings who people together. disagree <laughs> that it's that it's the best. Mm -hmm. I think there's ones who have their, personal own, favorites. their yeah. own personal favourites, kind of thing. Um, but no one will say, but oh, this is rubbish. I don't think there's anyone who's kind of like a true Trek or whatever actually thinks Khan is uh, not good. If you are that Trekkie, yeah, know. yeah, I'd be to think Star Trek in Darkness was the superior Khan film. Then <laughs> please write in. I, I think I wonder it'd be you know it's kind of like people who saw Toy Story two before Empire Strikes Back. Are they going to think oh like the whole I'm your father thing? It's been ruined for me by that. You know if you watch Into Darkness before. Yeah. Star Trek 2 yeah um, that's we'll true whether it kind of cheapens your appreciation of uh, the some of the you know stronger points of this film so yeah it'd be interesting to kind of see it from that point of view of what people say um, mm. yeah Paul's trailer watch for this one I did watch the preview for Rafa Khan and for a 1982 trailer quite an interesting kind of preview because it, it starts with Khan's voiceover well, well first it has a, as a, um, no, as a, a narrator like you yeah, sort of say at the end of the universe you know the ultimate power there's the jet vengeance this kind of thing and then you have Khan saying I held chasing around the wounds of Nibia and so that's quite I think mean, it's, it's quite about 30 seconds before we even get it's a Star Trek film mm. and um, and it is it ends on a very dark moment with like just before the title comes in you hear Kirk screaming God in the trailer uh, over a shot of the moon like um, you know and it's pretty it's a bit you know cobbled together as these old trailers yeah. are but it's um, certainly like a bit of a this is trying to say it's as far away from the motion picture as you possibly can get mm. in terms of tone and, and mm. the look of the, of it so yeah, I can see I got a few people to the cinema because this did very well. I mean, yeah. it did so well, in fact, that the um, Paramount Day has got Harv Bennett, the producer, to start writing Trek 3 like, within two days. Yeah, of, whoa. You know, Set box office records for first day gross. Wow. Incredible. On, release, on first so. day, because you'd yeah. think this would be a slow burn. 
mm. you'd think that people word of mouth would get actually it's alright this one um, yeah you, you think know. so actually. it's like no I saw the last one I'm not going to see that yeah, I wonder like, what actually, the consensus no. was because going into this they'd be thinking oh yeah there was that show that was good they did the film a few years back it was rubbish um, uh, why is there a sequel yeah that seems odd doesn't it I mean maybe the promotional material like you said the trainer stuff that was really good yeah I think they, they just maybe were a bit better at kind of pr- promoting it um, you know was this because this is famously a 15 certificate in the UK it's PG in America it's uh, been, yeah. it was a PG in the States yeah, before PG-13 right yeah, was, yeah. Was, yeah. so it's two right. years before PG for, well three years potentially before PG-13 even came in so it's not even a thing because I thought maybe it was an R in the States and like there was no. like oh R rated Star Trek no no it was, yeah. yeah as I say cut to get PG in the UK so everybody could go see it okay so it was like, so but it's 15 certificate in the UK only like in 1987 after, after it was uncut on video Oh right, so when yeah. it was released over here on cinema, it was PG. Yeah. Oh, well, yeah, she because that rating system wasn't there yet, was it? It was, it? It was yeah. No, it was. It was the first. No, it was the first year. It, oh right. Wait a second. It could could have been it. Because I've seen a poster for, for your eyes only, which is 1981. That says A on it. Yeah, it might be an A rating system. Yeah, I don't know what the equivalent is, but. So yeah. I think A is like ten speed or fifteen. I think no, even even in its cut version, it's still pretty edgy. <laughs> yeah, 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 definitely. Like, uh, oh, okay, so it's not that. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting, isn't it? Kind of seems weird that you know that it would set the box office alight first day round after motion picture. But like you say, maybe just the promotion at the time was really top notch, and maybe they could see that this was something really different. And, uh, and maybe all those Khan fans <laughs> came out. Okay, or, well, uh, maybe Fantasy Island fans, like uh, Motobon was very famous on TV at the time. So, oh, so you know, he had, yeah, he'd done five years of Hervé Villachez, who played Knickknack and Man of the Golden Gun on TV with this called Fantasy Island, which is a show where they basically, there's hosts on an island and people come along and get their fantasies fulfilled is that it's a game show no it's a TV a drama a drama but, yeah we'll have to look it up yeah definitely <laughs> uh, everyone at home definitely look up Fantasy Island yeah. it sounds possibly fantastic yeah. um, okay so yeah we've given our scores yeah, uh, so, so we'll wrap this one up next time it's going to be Star Trek 3 the search for Spock uh, we <laughs> wait a minute, wait, wait. Didn't Spock just die? Yeah, why this? They, they know where he they is. They know where he is. Yeah, yeah, he's on that title. Um, Genesis. Thing. What is this? Yeah, maybe I'll watch the trailer and find I out. You get any sense? Okay, well, well, that's, well, that's the uh, search for Spock. If you want to shorten your search for Spock, like, you can uh, send us a message on a new email we've just fancied up. I believe it's spocklightpod at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at spotlightpod. Excellent, please do that. And obviously, Twitter trolls, direct all your hate at Matt Brothers, <laughs> the Star Trek novice hey, hey. who Excellent. is deliberately, deliberately biting his thumb at all the trackies. 8.9. Oh, well, actually, yeah, actually, I gave the lowest score for this one 8.5. So, gets the lowest very conservative. <laughs> and I gave the lowest score last time, actually. Oh, to press, I am a, a secret hater. <laughs> Haters gonna hate, what can I say? Goodbye from me, Liam Dempsey. From me, Paul Wilson. And farewell. From who? From Matt Brother. <laughs> Come If you enjoyed this episode of Spotlight and wish to support us, you can rate, review and subscribe on iTunes, like our Facebook page and follow us on Twitter at SpotlightPod. You can also get in touch and drop us a message directly by emailing spotlightpod at gmail.com. <laughs>